Welcome to the Genesis Church Podcast. Amen. Good morning. Welcome. Welcome to Genesis Church. Welcome all those on site. Welcome all those watching online to our online church family. Make sure you check in today and let us know where you're watching from. That was just a quick update for those of you that are unaware. Uh, about a year and a half ago during our 12th anniversary service, my good friend Paul Richardson, uh, who I grew up with and we pastored together in Atlanta, Georgia, God laid on his heart to go start a brand new church in Edinburgh, Scotland, one of the most unreached countries in the world. And so just uh, back in January, they sold everything that they have. They kept a small container and put it on a ship and took it over. He told me as we were FaceTiming, he said, we spent three months moving in three different apartments because of all the regulations and all the different laws and things like that that they're having to try to figure out. He said, we finally have at least a place where we can settle down. He said, and yet in four months, God has already been moving and working. God has already provided a place for us to begin to hold services in later this year. And so they did that at Easter. And then he said, in the market every Sunday, the laws here do not allow us to have plastic bags. He said, so people have to come with their own or they, they get their, their fruit and their vegetables and they're holding in their arms. He said, so we just decided to print up a bunch of bags and hand them out and put information about the church in them. And he said, before we could blink, they were gone. And it is just a reminder here always that we are not defined by four walls. God is not just working here. He is working around the world through his church. And when you give here in this church, you allow us to partner and do things like this where a brand new church is being started in a different country. And it is the, the goodness of what God is doing in this place. Because we're not defined by four walls, not this next Sunday, but the following, the first Sunday in May, is our annual church at the beach. And so two weeks ago, we packed up this church and we went to East River High School and we had church for Easter. And two weeks from now, we're packing up the church and we're going out to Lori Wilson Park and we're having church at the beach. And so we'll have a service, we'll have worship, we'll go down and baptize people. I'm told right now that over 35 people have already registered to be baptized. And so many of them are in a splash class, our baptism class right now. If you want to be baptized or you know someone that wants to be baptized, would you go online this week? Have them register. We'll have our baptism classes again next Sunday during the 930 service and the 11 o'clock service so you can attend and worship. And then you can go to our baptism class because we want to explain to you all the Bible tells us about baptism. So as we always say, you don't just know of the Bible, you know the Bible. You know why you're doing these things. They are not religious duties you're checking off. There are things that you're taking in, and it is changing you. And because we're not defined by four walls, once again, as you were asleep last night, somewhere around 1 o'clock a.m., back on Wednesday, Chad, our executive pastor, Stephen, our student director, and a friend of theirs that attends this church, Nick Goody, they jumped the plane to Germany to go set up our September Germany trip, get everything in motion for us doing sports and arts camp there, all the things we're going to be doing that week. Hopefully, maybe even open up some new spots because I'm hearing that trip is pretty much at capacity. And so um, as they've been there last night, Chad got to preach to all the young adults. This morning, Stephen got to preach to a bunch of the students in the church. And then, like I said, somewhere around 1 o'clock a.m. our time here, uh, Chad was preaching uh, to uh, a packed house this morning uh, in, our, in our partner church in Germany. And I tell you that just to let you know that God is not just working here. 
God is moving around the world. And we are always looking to partner with wherever God is. And so as you attend here, as you give here, as you're faithful in your tithes and offering, this is what it does. It allows us to be the church, but it allows us to see the kingdom of God expanded around the world and lives being changed. And so this morning, I just want to pray for you, pray over you as we open up the story of God. Father, this morning, we believe your word is living and active because that's what it tells us it does. There is no other book on the planet that has the power your word has in it. God, we ask that that power would change us today, that we would not be the same when we showed up to learn from it when we leave it. God, may it transform our hearts. May it open our eyes, open our ears. God, may we allow the Spirit of God to truly work in our lives today. May we not quench it. In your name I pray.
faithfulness stretches to the heavens. And when we are unfaithful, you are faithful. We thank you for your goodness today. We pray that your word may be planted deep into our hearts today. Let it speak, let it change, let it bring life, let it revive, let it restore, renew, bring hope. I often think about when I'm looking out at our church and I see the different ages that are represented, how many people struggle with the exact same question. Why do I need God's word in my life? Why is it that you tell me I need to come to this book and read it? Why do I need to take time out of my busy schedule? Why do I need to read this old ancient text? What is it about this book that you guys put so much emphasis on and sometimes in shame or guilt, I feel like I'm not coming to it enough. A study was done a few years back. Not a survey, but a study. They studied a whole bunch of people that would come to the word of God. And when they got done conducting this study, this is what they discovered about it. And there have been studies that have been done after it that have concluded the exact same results. They found out that the people who would come back to the Word of God not once a week, not twice a week, not three times, but four times, began to see significant changes in their life. They found out that those who were committed to coming back, to listening, reading, whatever it is, to the Word of God, listen to this, 57% of them were less likely to drink and get drunk. 68% of them were less likely to play with sex outside of marriage. 60% of them were less likely to view pornography. 75% of them were less likely to gamble. 57% of them were less likely to engage in unhealthy habits. They begin to find out that stress levels came down, worry came down, anxiety came down, all the things that we would say, hey, we're looking for answers, I need medication, I need this, I need counseling, I need therapy, I need this to change in my life, it hasn't been good, it's left me in the wrong places, it's created scars, it's given me a past, whatever it is, all these things begin to change when people would consistently come back to God's word at least four times a week. Is four times a magic number? No. What it is, is it's the people that are being faithful to the story of God. Why? Because it tells us about who God is. It not only tells us who God is, it gives us guidance. It helps us when we're struggling with which way should we go? Which path should we take? 
hey, should I take this step forward? Is this door opening? What should I do in this circle with this groups of people? All these things, it shows us. It also does this, and it does so much more than this. But it gives you the real life circumstances of other people. It shows you their mistakes so that you don't make the same ones. It literally helps you in all those areas. And so it is why we are so passionate and purposeful about helping you learn the Word of God. Because it can truly change your life if you, tr if you faithfully stay committed to it. And it's why there's a QR code on the screen. A QR code's not just, you know, uh, something magical but it has resources, it has devotions, it has guides to help you read the Bible, it has links to our Post Sunday podcast where we'll take this story and we'll go further into it this week so that you can listen to it wherever you want to. You can watch it on YouTube. It's why we have life groups so you can get in a men's group, a women's group, a college group, a student group, an elders group, whatever it is, and you can begin to discuss more about God's word so that it can change your life. And I believe what we're about to find this morning in the story of God is something that is going to force you to make a decision that could radically change your life forever. That's how powerful it is. When we left the story last week, there was Moses and the nation of Israel. They were standing on the beach having a worship service. Wouldn't that be a great thing to go do? I mean, really, like, it's amazing that, that, that they're standing there and they're worshiping for all that God has done, declaring, this is my God who did all of these things. And now they're going to take a journey from the Red Sea to Mount Sinai. Now, here's what I want to tell you about next week. Please don't miss it. And I know some of you immediately just said, that's what you're supposed to say every Sunday. Don't miss next week, Okay. I'm telling you, if you physically cannot be present, which I hope that you can, then go watch it online later on demand or stream with us at 9.30 and 11, wherever you are. We are going to unfold something in Mount Sinai that I promise you that when I discovered it years ago, it completely changed why I want to know the story of God. It's that powerful. And I can't wait to share it with you. But we got to get to Mount Sinai. And this morning, we're going to start at the Red Sea because where we're going to begin and where God is taking the people is also something he's trying to do in them as he is in us. The journey from the Red Sea to Mount Sinai is going to symbolize spiritual growth. God was going to do something in their life in this journey to bring about spiritual growth in their life. He is going to do something in this story today to bring about spiritual growth in your life. Because that's what it's been doing all along. When you look at the story, when they're leaving Egypt, it symbolizes becoming a new believer, coming into something brand new from what you came from. When God is using this firstborn language all throughout the story, it's about being born again into the family of God. When we're talking about finding new life outside of Egypt, in the promised land, all these things we'll discover as the story goes on. It's also about learning the fundamentals of living, not just living life like you know it, living life the way God intended for it to be. This is what the story of God does in your life that no other book on the planet can do for you. And so where we, we begin this story 
with a day and night of worship, before it's over, we're going to be scratching our heads. Because here's what's going to happen in this story for them, and it's going to happen today for you. You can say that he is your God, but do you actually trust and obey him? You can show up just like the nation of Israel did on that beach and go, this is my God. I just think, I just sang about how thankful I am because he picked me up and turned me around. This is my God who's faithful to his promises. He's my anchor when everything isn't going right. Oh, it's easy to say it. And it's really fun to sing it. But do we actually live it? Do we trust and obey the God we're declaring? Exodus chapter 15, verse 22 is where we'll pick up. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days into the wilderness, and they found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. So this is a real circumstance, and it is a really bad one. Studies show, scholars say, there's about two and a half million people that made the exodus out of Egypt. That's a lot of people. Adults, children, elderly. This would affect everyone. They have gone to the edge of the wilderness. They are now in the wilderness. They have come through the ocean, and they have no drinking water. This is a real scenario with a real problem. No water in the wilderness, in the desert, you die. You can have real circumstances that you are up against, real situations that you are facing that are really difficult right now for you to overcome or figure out. It's not about the problem. It's how you approach the problem. That's what the story is going to unravel this morning. It says this, and the people grumbled against Moses. What shall we drink? How are we going to make it? Science says you got about three days with no water. A little more, a little less, depending on who you are. And so he, Moses, cried to the Lord. And the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. Now, think about the story for just a moment, if you've been traveling with us. These people got three signs from Moses. They got ten plagues in Egypt. They got a cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. And then God parts the Red Sea. They stand on the other side and go, that's my God that can do that. They show up to a pool of water that's bitter, and they begin to grumble. (laughs) And God says, okay, take that log, toss it in. The log had nothing special about it. It's just a piece of wood. What the story is telling you is that Moses was obedient to what God asked. And God can use whatever he wants to affect the story. So God comes back and he says this, The Lord said and made for them a statute and a rule. And there he tested them. This is very important. He is already telling you what's going to happen as you continue to, to read the story. He tested them. And there are a bunch of us that we just don't like this part of the story. Don't tell me right now the circumstance I'm in You're about to tell me God is testing me. Don't take it there today. Whatever it is I'm facing, whatever it is I'm up against, whatever it is that I'm staring down the barrel of, don't try to say God wants to test me in it. 
to spiritually grow me. But notice what God says. If you can highlight that word, you can circle that word, you can underline that word, you can capitalize that word. If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, it tells us, and give ear to his commandments and keep his statutes, all of them, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. There's a brand new term for God. There's a brand new characteristic of God. There's a brand new opportunity to experience God. God, in my circumstance right now, it is completely broken. I need you to come heal it. God, in my marriage with my kids, it is crumbling down. It is completely in shambles. And I need you to pick it up. And I need you to put it back together again. Come be my healer. God, I'm facing something right now that truly needs the finger of God to touch it and heal it. Let's just say, guess what? I'm your healer. If. See, if tells us this. If tells us that it's not unconditional. There's nowhere in Scripture, I'm just going to be clear and honest with you, that says it's unconditional love. Can't find it, can't bring it to me. Say, so, well, what are you saying then, Tim? Hold on a second. Now I'm getting confused. Let me be clear. God's love, God's forgiveness, God's grace, God's mercy, his salvation is for everyone. It's always been for everyone. It doesn't exclude anybody. It's always been an invitation if you come to me. Come to me all who are, are heavy laden. You have to take a step. If, and so he tells them, I'll be your healer if you diligently listen to my voice. Because it's my story. If you do what is right in his eyes, not your eyes, not the government's eyes, not the school system's eyes, not, not, not the social media's eyes, not the culture around you, what's right in his eyes? And then I love this. He doesn't just say, listen to my commands. He says, keep them. Diligently listen to me. Do what is right in my eyes. Listen and also keep it. You're going to experience something. You'll experience something. See, a bunch of us want to ignore this and then claim, guys, you better be my healer. And when you're not my healer, we got a problem. And God says, I'm looking for something. I'm trying to spiritually grow you. I might be testing you. Will you do these things? Verse 27 tells us that they came to Elam. I can't talk about this today. We'll talk about this in the podcast this week. They end up at 12 springs of water and 70 palms. How do you end up at 12 springs of water and 70 palms in the middle of the desert? Because when God's involved in the story, great things happen. Chapter 16 tells us they went out from Elam and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of sin. Now that is geographical, that is not metaphorical, which is between Elam and Sinai. Now listen to me to this part. It's not on the screen, just listen. Verse, verse 1 of Exodus 16. On the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt... Is just a few weeks after they left Egypt. This is where they find themselves. 
a month and a half in. This is where God has them. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. So we're a month and a half in of all that God has done. And they grumble against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness again. And they ask them, they say, how is it that you would bring us out of Egypt? Maybe because you asked for it. Where we had pots of meat and a roof over our head. Yeah, but you were slaves. Yeah, but in this moment now, because we're in a new circumstance, we're only caring about our necessities, not our situation anymore. And so they ask him, why would you bring us all the way out here to die of hunger? This is what they begin to grumble and complain against with Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And so the Lord shows up to Moses and he says, behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them. There it is again. What's he going to test them? Whether they will walk in my law or not. And Moses and Aaron went back to the people and they reported. And this is what they told them. At evening, you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Isn't, isn't this the theme of the whole story? That you would know it's the Lord at work always. You would tell it to your children, your grandchildren. It is something you would keep coming back to. All the things that have happened, all the things that happened in Egypt, all the things that have happened in my life, it's because of God, not because of me. And Moses said in verse 8, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat or in the morning bread to be full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumbled against him. Now, the text says that they went to Moses and Aaron and they grumbled and complained. But God says, when you grumbled against me. Isn't it funny? We think that we can find our circle and we can sit in it. And we can grumble and murmur and complain and vent and share our frustrations about our spouse, about our job, about our finances, about our boss. And then you can go, I was, just, I was just complaining to these people. God, you had nothing to do with this right now. You, 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 you weren't involved in this. I just took it to them. And God says, oh, no, you didn't. I know where your mouth went, but I know where your heart is. And you are grumbling and complaining against me. And there are some of us that we think we're sitting in circles where we actually probably know we are, grumbling and complaining. And it's not going to affect our relationship with God. See, the reason he was testing them, remind yourself, was to see, will you walk in my law? For those of you that have any problem with this word right here, it truly just means instructions. So if you're like, so I don't read the Bible, it's just law. Who wants to read law all the time being rained down on you? No, it's God saying, I'm giving you my instructions. Wait till we get to next week. And do you know I am the Lord? You can say it. You can sing it. Do you live it? This is the theme of the journey. So God says, I'm going to have quail come from the sky in the evening. You're going to go out and you're going to collect it. You're going to have meat to eat every single day. And in the morning, I'm going to have bread show up. It's going to be this thing called manna. It tells us in verse 15, when the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is this? What is it? 
for they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. Listen, they went out and they, they tried to describe it. It was like this covering on the ground. And you would collect it up and you could make it into cakes and into bread. Scholars and, and rabbis, they don't have a, a, a definition for it. They, they have a name for it, manna. But some of them literally say, like, maybe you're a little older and you've had that candy bar, the whatchamacallit. You know what I'm talking about? Like, that's kind of how they're referring to it. Whatchamacallit. Like, we don't really know exactly what it was. Notice what Moses says. He doesn't tell them what it is in the sense of he doesn't explain what, 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 it, what it contains. He says, it's what the Lord has given you. Focus on that part. Focus on what God has provided. But remember, God is giving them instructions. Will you be obedient and follow me? I'm asking you to be obedient and follow my instructions. So he tells them, this is how you will receive it. You will gather a day's portion, enough for each of your family. Do not leave it till morning, and on the sixth day, gather double. He said, so here's the instructions. I'm going to provide for you what you've been asking for. But I want you to go out every day and gather just enough for that day. I want you to gather just enough for your family and do not leave it. Don't hoard it. Don't pack it up. Don't, 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 don't set it aside. Don't save some for later. Get just what you need today. And on the sixth day, I want you to grab double. Why? Now, we're going to talk about this tomorrow on the podcast as well. This is where God is implementing the Sabbath. He is beginning to get a group of people to understand this truth. I created everything, and I'm in charge of it all. What I want you to begin to understand is this. On the sixth day, grab double. Don't come back on the seventh day because you're not going to work. I'm going to begin to teach you this fundamental way of living. This is true spiritual growth. What you think you need seven days to accomplish, I'll do in six. How many of us here right now, you think you have to work seven days a week all the time so that your hands can provide everything that you need? And God is saying, hold on, do you trust your story or do you trust my story? Do you trust me each day for provision or are you trusting your bank account for provision? When are you going to decide this is my story or your story? Will you walk in my ways or your ways? But they did not listen to Moses, verse 20. Some left part of it till morning. And what happened when they did that? It bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. And morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. And on the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. Why? Because God said it won't be there. And the Lord said to Moses, how long? How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? Some of you, how long are you going to continue to disobey the word of God? I want him to be my healer. I want him to be faithful. I want him to provide. I want him to take care of me. How long? How long will you keep living in contradiction to God's word? These people got three signs. They got more miracles than we could ever imagine. And God said, I've still got to teach you some spiritual lessons in your life. And on this journey, he was teaching them, trust me each day. Trust me each day. Stop worrying about tomorrow. There are some of you right now, you are crippled by anxiety for something that's supposed to happen a few days from now or next week. 
I will provide what you need, but here's the clincher. Come back to me tomorrow and trust me again. Let's do this every day together. The people who kept returning to the word of God, not two times, three times they said the needle started to move, but four times or more started to see drastic changes in their life because they kept coming back to God. And God said, I am implementing a system where you will keep coming back to me to trust me. In the study, it's four times the magic number. No, it was the consistency and the faithfulness of coming back to God over and over and over again. When I was walking through this the last few weeks, I was thinking back of the times God has done big miracles in my life that I can testify to. And also the times when God's just done like the little things that, that, that I need to be grateful and thankful for. And I was literally trying to like figure out like God, how many times were the big things and how many times had it just been the small, faithful things? And I begin to quickly realize it's much more in the small things that I've experienced God than even in the great things. And I was thinking back to this, this moment in, in our life. My wife and I had just finished college. We had just taken a job in Atlanta, Georgia. We were living in Virginia. And we had just three and a half months into being married, found out we were pregnant with our first child, Kobe. We moved away from all of our family and friends, started a new job, bought a house, had our first child, all before our one-year anniversary. I mean, it was chaos, just crazy. And so if you know our family, if you don't, um, my son, he's 6'4", college basketball player. And so people come to us all the time and go, that's your kid? And I go, I think so, you know, <laughs> he's way bigger than I am and bigger than us. And so we've had this joke, you know, since the time he was born. When he was born, he was huge. And when we first got married and we bought our first house, we had a little two-door hatchback, just car. And we would put our son in the car seat, and half of the car seat would extend into the front seat. And so you would just look, and there'd be your kid, you know, right there, and trying to get him in in his car seat and his big child. And I remember thinking, this isn't going to work very long. It's just <laughs> physically not going to work. But our finances didn't allow for anything different. And so I was showering one day, and I, and I called out to my wife, and I said, honey, I'm going to pray for something. She said, pray for what? I said, I'm going to pray that God gives us a new car. And she said, okay, well, I'll pray with you. Like, that's just what we'll pray. And so I just began praying, God, you know our situation, you know our circumstance. I don't know how this is going to work out, but is there some way you could provide? Nine days later, I'm out to lunch with some people in the church, and I get a phone call from one of the staff members uh, that I was working with, and he said, hey, where are you? And I said, well, I'm out to eat with a couple from the church. He said, when you're done, swing back by the offices. I want to talk with you. And so I came back by, didn't know what it was about, sat in front of them, and he said, hey, this morning a family stopped by that goes to our church, and they just bought a brand new car. And so they said, hey, we don't have a need for our other car any longer. And we want to give the car to the church. Maybe there's someone in the church or a staff member that needs this car. And he said, immediately we thought about you and Tandy and Kobe. And so here's the keys. Now the car. Like, God, I want a truck. God, I want a Jeep. God, I, I. It was a Ford Taurus, green, been driven by some 
elderly people. Mileage was pretty high on it. And when he handed us that car, it, it wouldn't be the car you would go to the car lot and go, that's the one. But let me tell you something. It didn't matter for us. It had four doors. That's what we needed. That's what we prayed for. For us, this was the greatest miracle God could do in the moment where we were doubting. Why did we even move away from our family and kids? God showed up in that moment, and he did something miraculous. And I can recall that moment, and yet think of all the moments since then I've asked God, like, where are you? Are you listening to me? Are you going to provide for me? And God's saying, hey, remember not just that moment. Remember all the other moments where I've shown up and I've provided and I've shown you who I am and how easily you forget. Jesus himself says in Matthew chapter 6, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious. Listen to me. Who's he repeating here? Saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? They know the story of their people. Or what shall we wear? And we would say, listen, I've got good faith. I would say I've got great faith. I come in here and I sing about it all the time. I trust God. I know God's going to take care of me. I know God's going to provide for me. I know he's ultimately in control. I know that he will give me everything I need when I need it. And then a worldwide pandemic shows up. And we all go running to the grocery store. Because we may not have what we need tomorrow. And instead of looking at that and saying, hey, God, just like you sent bread from heaven and you sent quail and you said, hey, just gather enough for you and your family so that everyone would have some. That's like 15 families right there that had a need. But I didn't know if I was going to get any more. Oh, so you stored up and you didn't trust God. But, but, but wait, if I didn't do it, this guy was going to do it. Jesus' followers are supposed to be different. This is the story of God. Do you trust your story? Do you trust his story? And in chapter 17, the congregation of the people of Israel moved from the wilderness of sin, listen to this, by stages. Why? Because God works in stages. I want to get you to this point, and then I'm going to take you to this point. And then hopefully we can get to this point. It's all a spiritual journey for spiritual growth. But when they got there, the third test, there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled, meaning they argued now. They're not just grumbling with Moses. Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you fight me? And ultimately, listen to this, why do you test the Lord? Let me give you an understanding in your faith. You don't test God. He gets to test you. God said, if you diligently listen to my voice, and if you do all that's right in my eyes, and if you listen to my commands, and if you live out my commands, I will be a healer. You know what we do? We say, God, if you do this for me, then I'll do this for you. And you're like, well, isn't there a story in the Bible, a guy named Gideon and a fleece? So we'll get there. It's coming. It's not quite what you think. God gets to test us. We don't get to test him. It's his story, not our story. But the th- people thirsted for water, grumbled against Moses 
And they said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us, our children, and our livestock with thirst? Bottom line in this story and in this journey is simply this. Grumbling and murmuring lead to a troubled destination. We have grumbling problems and we have murmuring problems. And you know why they're devastating? Because everything starts with words before it becomes an action. And the more we grumble, the more we murmur, the more we complain, the more we start living in that grumbling, in that murmuring, and in that complaint. Therefore, we're not able to see the blessing, we're not able to be thankful, and we're not able to offer gratitude. I saw this, this picture this past week, and, and I thought of a whole bunch of you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> when God blesses you in a trial, but you're still salty about the trial. All the blessings, all the goodness, all the things God has done, big and small, grand and, 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 and tiny, doesn't matter. It's been God at work, and God has been working and providing and blessing, and we're still salty that he took us to a test. Listen to what happened at the end of the story. I want to tell you this, though. For those of you that are in a circumstance where you're saying, God, part the ocean. Miracles don't equate to great faith. Thankfulness and gratitude do. Miracles don't. You say, well, how can you say that? That's what we find in Scripture. There's a bunch of miracles. Yeah, what did we just find in the story? Three miraculous signs, ten plagues, pillar of cloud in the day, fire by night, ocean is parted, God takes a log, turns a bitter water sweet, he brings quail from heaven, manna from heaven, bread from, uh, water out of a rock, all miracles. Where's their faith? This is why people run off to these big tent gatherings, that if I just get to experience a miracle under them, then my faith will go to a whole new level. No, it won't. Not when you spend most of your life grumbling and complaining and murmuring. Okay? And so they don't equate to it. Thankfulness and gratitude for who God is, what he's done through Jesus, the rest is just blessing. And he called the name of the place Masa and Meribah. Because of the calling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord. Listen, listen to this, please. This is what they were saying to God. Is the Lord among us or not? You just stood on a beach and you sang a song. This is my God who saved us. This is my God who redeemed us. The steadfast love of my God will reign forever and ever. And just three days later, is, is God among us? Is he with us? You see how easily we become the story? How many times God has done something in your life and you're back to, is God among me? Does he care? Is he listening? Let me tell you this this morning. God listens to your cries. That's how the story begins. You may be facing real circumstances, real situations. God hears the cries of his people. God listens to your cries. He does not care for your complaining. 
And there's a big difference. There's a big difference in how we come to God. God, I am crying out of brokenness for you to come be my healer. God, I'm crying in brokenness for you to come fix this circumstance. And God, I will not complain because of your goodness and faithfulness. God listens to your cries. He does not care for your complaining. With heads bowed and eyes closed. How many times we easily show up together proclaiming the faithfulness of my God who keeps his promises and we walk right out this door grumbling, murmuring, complaining. My food wasn't cooked right. Service didn't happen fast enough. That person cut me off. My spouse my kids, my boss, my finances. And God listens to your cries. He doesn't care for your complaining. And maybe for some of us today, the reality of the story isn't that it stays in the pages of the Bible. It's that it becomes living and active because it speaks right into your story and my story. That this good, faithful God who has done good things in your life needs gratitude and thankfulness, not grumbling and complaining. And if you diligently come back to him over and over again and you do what is right in his eyes, no matter what's happening with the people around you, the friend circles you're in, the relationships you're, you're interacting with, your, 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 your work buddies, whatever it is, you do what is right in his eyes. And you don't just listen to his commands when we open up the Bible. You keep them. And he says, you'll experience a healing from me in supernatural ways that can change your life forever. Father, today, forgive us. Forgive us for being people who far too often grumble and complain we murmur in the right circles about our spouses, about our bosses, about our finances, about this friend, about that person. God, change our hearts, change our tongues. May they speak blessings. May they speak life. May they speak gratitude. May they speak thankfulness. May we learn today to count our blessings and give you praise for that and not become like the nation of Israel. The story is there for us to see their mistakes. Foolishness would be repeating them. Wisdom would be learning from them. Give us wisdom today, God. In your name I pray. We're going to worship for a moment. And we're going to invite some of you. Last service, people just came down. No one's down here with you. Maybe you just need to come tell God, I'm sorry today. God, truly, before I walk out of these doors, I'm sorry. I have been grumbling and murmuring and complaining. And I need to tell you I'm sorry and I'm thankful for who you are, what you've done. God, I need to give you my tongue today because it speaks the wrong things. I wanted to speak life, not death. 
And God, today, I don't want to repeat the story of Israel on their way to Sinai. I want to be different. Your word has the power to do that. Your spirit has the power to change me. And so today I come and I bow my knee and I apologize. Maybe you need to do that here today. As we sing, you can come.